Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast. I'm at Premier Scope with Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition. That's a mailbag. We continue this into the offseason. Uh, we've got some questions, wide-ranging topics we've got football we've got football recruiting we've got women's basketball we've got a lot to get into on this podcast yeah we're going to start with uh i think where we needed to start but i'm honestly not thrilled to jump into this discussion just full disclaimer um with nil talk um yeah. question from at high flying ducks um and these are his <laughs> words not mine why is the ncaa so bad at everything more specifically why wasn't there some kind of salary cap slash accountability instituted with the nil Without it, why wouldn't a kid? Why wouldn't a school pay eight million dollars for the best quarterback? Small investment on a big return, pay the kids, but damn. Hashtag odds and audibles. And then I he wrote beneath that um, to clarify. To be clear, I'm not saying he's not worth it or any other top prospect, especially in the context of college football money. I am saying that the system is broken when it becomes an arm race that only the schools with the top money can win. Um, he is of course referring to the big story that came out this weekend from the Athletic. Uh, I'm going to butcher the last name, guys, but bear with me. Nico Aima Lalavea, uh, big-time five-star recruit out of Southern California, Oregon, uh, was considered the favorite until a switch over the weekend in the crystal ball when it was, uh, again, reported by The Athletic that there was an $8 million offer uh, on the table from the University of Tennessee to a Southern California quarterback recruit. Um, Steve Wiltfong from 247 Sports I think pretty swiftly goes in and makes a crystal ball um, prediction swap from Oregon to Tennessee. This had the Duck Territory message board all up in arms. I think it probably had most of Oregon Twitter all up in arms. Um, But the reality is this is what the NIL is. I think in practice, this is a little different from what I was, I guess, expecting maybe, but obviously I should have expected this. Um, You know, I love the idea just to start, like I'm totally for players being able to benefit off name, image, and likeness. I think that's an awesome thing. I think it's been honestly wait. It, it took too long to get here. Um, I think this is something that's been in the works for a long, long time. And I was really thrilled when this move was made. Um, it is a little jarring, frankly. And again, this is why it's kind of hard to know how to talk about this to see an eight million dollar offer made to a prep player. Um, you know, I kind of think we're all under the. I think we're all understanding of like a Kayvon Thibodeau, a player at a university making money. And of course, if Kayvon would have been his recruitment took place during the NIL era, he might've had similar offers from other schools and who knows how that would have impacted things. But um, I don't know. I think when, when, when you saw the story come across, I think it was kind of hard to wrap your brain around the idea of a 17 year old being offered this sort of money 
Um, and obviously the implication that makes, because let's be real here. I mean, if <laughs> I would, I don't fault him at all if he's going to choose a school that offers him $8 million. That's a ton of money, and there's no guarantees of how things are going to play out. Um, I, I think this consensus, or at least the, the local uh, majority, seems to be on the site that this is a really bad thing and a bad sign for college football. I'm not sure I'm there yet. I want to see how this plays out. I want to give this more time before I make any kind of like, call this a fatal blow for college football, but this is certainly just a totally different landscape than it was even a year ago. Look, um, I'm with you in that if a player is going to get paid, if someone's going to offer me $8 million to go work for their company, I'm going to go work for their company. Um, no offense to you guys. I would miss working with you, but uh, that would be life-changing money for me. I'm sure this is life-changing money for the recruit that, um, the story was about. We should note the athletic did not release the name. Um, I don't know if this happened while I was flying home from Vegas. So correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, people have connected the dots to who it potentially could be, but we don't, without a doubt, with without any kind of certainty, know it's, it's Nico. So it's like, it's like 95%, though. It's yeah. pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, like, it's life-changing money. So like you said, I don't, I don't fault that decision playing, uh, you know, that, that offer playing a huge factor in his, his decision-making process, but this will even itself out. We're, we're, we're going to see some ludicrous amounts of money get thrown out the next couple of seasons. Um, and then as some people throw money, some businesses throw money at players and these players don't pan out it's going to reel back a little bit. I mean, look at this analogy just for a moment. It's not player related from a college standpoint, but someone paid half a million dollars for Tom Brady's last touchdown pass and an auction that happened two months ago. The, 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 the play happened two months ago. And the day after the person paid him half a million dollars, Tom Brady came out of retirement. Like that's going to happen in college football. Someone's going to pay a huge love huge sum of money to a player for an endorsement deal. And that player is just not going to be good. I'm not saying that's going to be Nico. I mean, he could go on and be a Heisman winner at Tennessee if that's where he ends up playing. But eventually it's going to course correct. The market will dictate things a little bit early on for the player's side as people overpay. But eventually a nice medium will present itself. Yeah, this is all a regression to the means idea. Um, I don't really care that Nico potentially is getting $8 million. It's $8 million over three to four years. Um, you know, good for him. This is how college football kind of is. And if you didn't think that this is how college football kind of was before this in instance, mm -hmm. you're just kind of lying to yourself at this point. Right. Um, uh, just to answer some of the questions on our original question from High, high Flying Ducks, um, why is the NCAA so bad at everything? I wish I could tell you. Um, it, what, why isn't there some kind of accountability or institution like a salary cap? Um, that's really hard to do is to yeah. put a salary cap on anything because you're right in the, in the sense that this might become a issue of players going to the highest bidder. Um, but oftentimes it's not. And oftentimes 
people going to the highest bidder works in the, in the professional sports because these are professional players and you know exactly what you're going to get from your professional players. These are collegiate athletes. These are high school athletes, just like what Matt said. This is somebody who might get a deal going into college and it's going to be looked at as a big man on campus. They get to college. They're not as good as everybody says they are. It's just as simple as that. You, you can go through the years and five-star recruits. And, um, you know, this happened last summer, too. Uh, I also think this is a partial, like, kind of a news dump by college football to try to get them back on the map, just like everything was yesterday with Tom Brady coming <laughs> out and the NFL and the MLB and all that stuff. Um, this happened last summer when the NIL first got announced, where, you know, Dr. Pepper was suddenly sponsoring DJ Uyunglele at Clemson. And he had all these other offers. And he was terrible. He goes out there and he's not that good anymore. And I don't know how often you guys see DJ Uyunglele on your television anymore or any college football players, for that matter, on your television anymore. This matters right now. This matters to Oregon Duck fans specifically because it's seemingly attacking, not attacking, uh, taking away a player that could be committing to Oregon, which really sucks for Oregon fans. It's really great for Tennessee fans. But for the rest of the country, everybody's going to read that athletic story and go, huh, that's a lot of money for someone who's 17, and then flip the page. They're not going to care. This is going to be a consistent trend in college football. Oregon will do it, meaning potentially buying a player. Oregon State's going to do it. Everybody in the Pac-12 is going to do it. Everybody in the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12 is going to do it at one point. It just so happens that Nico is probably the first guy over the table no longer under the table to be bought out of high school. So it's fine. I think everybody just needs to take a step down, relax, deal with the fact that Oregon might lose a five-star quarterback, which is pretty bad. They still have more options at the quarterback table. There's five or there's four or five-star – no, five five-star quarterbacks in this class. They're all like within the top 30. Oregon's had three of them visit campus – They've had multiple top 100 players along with the five stars visit campus. They will be fine. So that's okay. NIL is, uh, is interesting. Um, it's certainly a little bit too late in the long scheme of things. There were no rules going into it. I'm sure the NCAA at one point will put in some rules to try to get this to be a mainstream. These, these, are, the, these are the things that you can do. These are the things that you can't do. But until then – there's no rules. It's going to be the Wild West out there. And whoever has the biggest donors has has an advantage. And so far in the Pac-12, Oregon has had probably the biggest donors. That's the other side of this. Yeah, They're the only school that has been this up-to-date on NIL stuff. Other than just handing somebody $8 million like seemingly Tennessee has, Oregon has actually been, been putting the NIL rules like at the top of their list of things and empowering the athletes themselves into getting deals and, and uh, you know, sponsorships and things like that, instead of just handing people money. So there's, I don't know why there's such a big reason to get mad in all of this. We should know. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Eric, but over the weekend, Sydney Parrish, I mean, like Jared said, the U of O athletes are getting deals. Sydney Parrish had a Instagram uh, deal with champ sports over the weekend. Um, like that it, Jared's right. Like deals are getting made left and right for the university of Oregon and, and they are doing it in a good way. Um, players are getting paid good money. 
Um, and, and so it, it'll work itself out. Um, one thing I want to know that Jared brought up is other quarterbacks. I mean, this, this news came out over the weekend and Jaden Rashada, a five-star quarterback from L from California, who's been on campus at Oregon. He tweeted, one thing I can promise is it just means more to me. I'm a competitor. And I thought it was interesting that that came out. And I also thought it was interesting that Kenny Dillingham retweeted that. Um, just stuff to read into. Yeah, and I just want to just to stick on this for a moment before we jump to the next question, which is not NIL related. Um, as Jared established, Oregon's been pretty forward thinking with Division Street. And I think recently, um, I think it was Stuart Mandel reported they have basically their own I don't know the, what the language is on it. Basically, like a portal behind the scenes where student it's like a marketplace. Yeah, marketplace. That's a better. Yeah, there's there's the better word I was looking for. Um, where student athletes are able to be contacted by businesses like third parties, in, you know, independently. Um, and this is the type of thing that makes Oregon an attractive place. And, and I think what gets lost in this eight million dollar offer is Oregon is going to be proactive, and Oregon's probably going to win recruiting battles because of this. Yeah. Um, they're not yeah. going to just—they're not going to just lose everything because of this. And I also want to say, this eight million dollar deal is hypothetical a little bit because we also haven't seen Nico accept it. He hasn't committed to Tennessee. He's still a recruitable athlete. He still will continue to be recruitable, even if he quote unquote does accept the deal. And I also have to say, like, there's, there's—I mean, Oregon fans are really kind of running for the hills. Like, this is the end of college football. Like. What's the what's going to be the conversation in two weeks if if Oregon and Phil Knight come out and say, hey, we're actually offering? And this is all completely hypothetical. Nine million dollars, and now Nico is going to go to Oregon. I mean, is is that means? Right. I mean, because I mean, there hasn't been an opportunity really to rebut, and this has all been kind of reported behind the scenes. So um, before we completely demonize the NIL, I thought it was kind of jarring to see some of the discussion on the site. Um, I understand the frustration. I understand the reactions to it because it is. Disappointing because I think a lot of fans got really excited about Nico to Oregon. That was really where things were, were discussed and seemed like they were headed. Nothing is finalized. This is all still in flux. And again, this NIL stuff, I think, as we've said, I, I'm in agreement with you two. It'll course correct. It'll work itself out. And Oregon will still continue to be on the front lines of this, being creative, being innovators. So I, I think while it, it might seem in this instance at the moment, in like the 24-hour news cycle, like the NIL is hurting Oregon, I think big picture, it's probably not going to hurt Oregon more than it's going to help them big picture so let's keep that in mind and kind of have that perspective going forward um as we wade through it's going to be again this is going to have some real ebbs and flows and probably some not so savory moments i think this weekend is probably the best example of kind of the, the ebbs of that well real quick too when we talk about how this is going to take college football down a road where only a certain amount of schools are going to sign the elite prospects that's already happening every year alabama georgia ohio state Notre Dame, and, Oklahoma, um, Clemson. It's the same schools. You know, it, it, when you when you find your top 15 schools, it's basically 10 of those 15 are the same ones. It's just they're all in different positions. It's already happening. It, nothing. So I don't really think anything's drastically going to change. No, I mean, I don't think it will either. Those are the schools with the deepest football pockets in the country, more likely than not. I mean, schools like Tennessee or Oregon can probably rival them on every once in a while. But year after year after year, those five, six, seven schools are always going to be the ones that are spending the most on recruiting, on the most on their facilities, all of that. And it's no different when they can spend that some of that money on NIL deals as well. Um, and honestly, if you're a kid, you know, why do you not want to go to one of those schools that are always in the, in the college football playoffs or in the national championship or winning rings? You know, that's 
so what that you get three million dollars? You're you're gonna go six and eight. Like who, like, you know, who kind of cares if you go to, to Tennessee or something like that? Um, it'll be fine. I, I think the only issue in this instance and why we're talking about it is this directly affects somebody who was very high on Oregon. And, and to the point, yeah, the NCAA is bad at everything, so I won't rebut that. That's probably the only part that I'm like not even going to try to. They're terrible <laughs> to, to argue. I think it's just like, all right, it's just who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll come up with some legislation that'll impress me, but that hasn't happened in like the 33 years I've been alive. So, um, well, the that. answer to that question is it's the leadership at the top. Sure, it's, they don't have good leadership, and it, it's as simple as that. Until new leadership come, goes into the, the higher positions in the NCAA, that'll continue to make stupid decisions. And I'm actually 32 years old, I just realized. So I forgot how old I was on the podcast, which is <laughs> I turned 33 in two weeks. So go me. Um, all right. Happy next, birthday. Oh, thanks. It's a future birthday. <laughs> yeah, all right. Second one from at Tosh Myers. Uh, name the three student athletes who will benefit the most from the new coaching staff. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, do we just all want to say our three and then we can come around and discuss why or how, I don't know how we want to approach this, but I'll, I'll start with my three. Um, and this is basically based upon what position groups I think are, are, are coached by coaches that have a, a good track record of developing this position. So I, I go Justin Flo working with Dan Lanning in this group. I, uh, I, I just think that's, that's going to be a benefit for him. And Flo is somebody who obviously we're really high on. I go Braden Swinson on that outside linebackers group. I think working with Tosh and kind of the system, I think he has a chance to really have a big, a really big uh, a year here. And then I, I also am going with, with Ty Thompson just to switch it up and do some offense um, you know, Kenny Dillingham has a decent track record developing quarterbacks, and I really am encouraged by what he said. That one is probably the one I'm, I guess, least confident in because the track record is not quite as like if you were to go through what Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy have done at various stops over the last decade or so, you can point to yeah. some, some really impressive, I guess, development. Uh, probably harder to do that with with Dillingham's career to this point, but I'm kind of trusting what I'm seeing with my eyes and, and through a couple of days in practice and what we've heard from from Kenny and what, what Dan has said about Kenny. I, I, I'm pretty optimistic about that one. And I'm also picking that because I'm a, a sucker for the fans liking me. And I know if I pick Ty Thompson for any answer, people are going to pat me on the back. So uh, go me. Go ahead and pat me on the back in the comments, guys, because uh, I'm sure you all like me picking that. Yeah, thank you, Jared. Virtual, virtual pat in the back. Go ahead, Matt. Mm -hmm. um, I will stick with Justin Flo. I'll also add Noah Sewell into that one. I think he's going to see um, – He's going to be better, uh, and that's kind of scary. Um, I, I'm going to cheat because I, I want to go linebackers, and I could go all three. I Swenson would be my third one um, as an as an outside edge guy, um, but I'm just going to put all three of those guys into one one category. Um, mm. I I think uh, another guy that's that's going to have a really good impact for Oregon. Um, will on the offensive side of the football will be Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin. So I'll pick five guys, three, three, three from one position group and two from another. I just think um, the I'm going to buy into the fact that Oregon's offense will be better uh, throwing the football and they'll be more aggressive with throwing the football. I thought it was really interesting that um, Blair Anguello had a story from Kyle Casper, uh, a four-star recruit who was on campus this weekend. And they, the family felt like they weren't really interested in Oregon at all, 
under the old staff because the head coach had a reputation of running the football and that the staff is trying to change that. So I'm going to buy into the fact that Oregon's receivers, they're probably their two best big play guys in Thornton and Franklin will have big years as well. I like the whole linebacker room perspective because that was what I was thinking about doing because I think all of them under landing is going to be um, just a better overall development curve for the Ducks. Um, but I'll stick to one. I'll just say Noah Sewell. I feel like he does have room to improve. Um, I'd like to go Justin Flo here as well, but I just I, I got to see him on the field. I don't know what it is. It's just, yeah. it's just like a mental roadblock for me. I need to see him on the field. Um, I like the Braden Swinson pick as too, or as well. Um, with Lanning, with Tosh Lupoy, with whoever he's working with, um, you know, this could be a big year for him. And we've heard good things, all three of us, about him, about or like going into camp. Um, so if he's if he can continue those, you know, good natured vibes going in with this with the staff and his development, that'd be great. Um, and then in the offensive end, I'll go with offense as well. I was going to go Ty Thompson as well. I was going to, you know, get the fans to pat me on my back as well, Eric. Um, this just kind of feels like I, I think both quarterback or all three quarterbacks can really um, improve with the help of Kelly, Kenny Dillingham. Um, I just think if you look at the big picture perspective, um, Ty Thompson has the most potential of the group. And if he improves dramatically, that could lead to the better of quarterback of the three. Um, I think Bo Nix can improve. I think Jay Butterfield can improve, but I think Ty Thompson is going to, uh, with the new staff, is going to improve the most, seemingly, um, just on on the whim that if they all improve, Ty has the most potential. So, yeah. Can I but, throw one name into the group we haven't mentioned, and that's Adrian Jackson at linebacker, just because mm, I feel like I feel like he can take a big jump, and he's playing inside linebacker. He's working with Lanning. I think the athletic tools there. I said this before somewhat reminiscent of some of the Georgia backers. And I could see him being somebody who's been quote unquote in that he's going to be a breakout player list for me for like four years. And I could see that maybe finally coming to fruition a little bit more here. So that's to, that's just a name. We talk inside linebackers. His name hadn't come up. And I, I just think he's somebody who has maybe um, a chance to really grow a little bit in, in a system that maybe is more favorable to him. I was just going to say, do we feel like he's maybe better suited to be an inside linebacker than outside, which he's played his first three years at Oregon? I kind of feel that way. Yeah, and I think some of it's schematic, too, in terms of what he's going to be asked to do. Um, I, I've always – I mean, the athletic intangibles there are – and I made this comparison when Devin Jackson committed – are similar to Devin Jackson. This is a guy yeah. who played a little bit of safety, a little defensive back in high school. He's come in. He's put on some weight. He's incredibly athletic, so fast and athletic. And it's like – I just feel like the previous staffs have had a hard time figuring out where he fits. So um, I think the move inside is really encouraging, and I don't expect him – to win the starting job. Cause I just think Sewell and Flo are going to be so good, but like he could, he and Jeffrey boss are probably going to have a heck of a battle, you know, depending upon where we, I guess, which spot they're both playing to kind of be that third guy on the field from that group. Like, I think there's so much talent at inside back. And that's not even including a Jackson, the Duke or a, a Keith Brown who also really right. Yeah. Eric and I talked about that on the last podcast um, or the two podcasts ago, excuse me. Um, we just really like Adrian Jackson's just general intangibles, just his athleticism and his size inside linebacker. It felt like the old staff knew how good he was athletically and felt like they needed to get him on the field, but always had a starting duo at linebacker and Troy Dye and Isaac Slade and Matuatia. Right. Um, and, you know, they had to figure out some way. And Adrian Jackson in, in, in 2019, he was, you know, pretty darn good off the edge. 
he was somebody who you could rely on on passing downs to get around a tackle or you know just make some kind of bull rush into the middle. Um, but in this in this situation, if his pass defense is good enough, I think that he can be a really valuable member of the defense. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the second half of, of the mailbag. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Autzen Ottawa's podcast. Uh, Matt Perry, Merrick School, Jared Mack, uh, taking your questions on all things Oregon athletics halfway through. All right. The question from our one of our favorites, Duck for Quacks, asks, has there been any interesting or fun things you've noticed about the new assistant coaches at practices? He writes examples, using a new type of drill, uh, use the old duck lips instead of an actual whistle, or pretending to be a pirate. Um, hashtag Autzen Audible's. I haven't seen a lot of pirate garb out of practice so far, which no, is no eye little, patches. Yeah, no eye patches, no bandanas. A little disappointing. Um, no hooks. Yeah, no hooks. So uh, we'll, maybe we'll start seeing that. Um, it, it's kind of a fun question, and, I, and I'll be honest. Like the first two days where we watched, um, hard to really see a ton of what was said. Um, drill wise, I think one thing that stood out, and I know we talked about in our practice report, it seemed like more time spent in special teams both days, at least what we watched. Um, I think that's encouraging. Uh, Oregon not great on special teams the last couple of years under Mario Cristobal. I'm putting that kind of lightly. Um, Joe mm-hmm. Lord comes from Penn State as a very accomplished special teams coach. Matt Pallage was also a coordinator at Baylor. Both those guys were probably two of the, I don't know, best dozen or two special teams coordinators in the country, somewhere in that range. Um, I think Oregon's going to be better there. I think that just kind of the early seeing them kind of work, you know, on that early on, making that a priority stood out. Um, one thing I didn't notice, but I'm going to give credit to Rob Mosley for this in his practice report, is apparently they were – and Jared, I don't know if you saw this or noted it, but they were fielding punts and kicks with boxing gloves on. They um, were, yeah. You saw that? I, I didn't catch that. You were, you were looking more down that side of the field than I was. Um, that's interesting. I mean, that's certainly different. Uh, I, I imagine that will uh, force you to catch the ball uh, you know, a little more cleanly. You can't really rely on trying to trap it against your chest with boxing gloves. Probably more difficult. Um, that kind of thing stood out, I think. One thing not from an assistant coaching perspective that stood out, and we only saw this on day one, was, was Dan using the microphone yeah. um, to kind of t- t- transition between drills. 
thought that was pretty notable. We didn't see, I don't think, any of that or very, very little of that the second practice. But, um, and that really might have just been a, hey, we're going to set – we're going to make sure we get these transitions down early on in camp. We're not going to be screwing around. We're not going to be a step slow. And he noted that they were better on their transitions from drill to drill from day one to two during Saturday's um, post-practice interviews. But those are a couple of things I had written down. Um, again, I think, and I don't want to, I don't want to discount what we've seen, but it, we're probably a little bit shorter on a list here. Like Saturday's practice, we were even more limited in where we could stand and watch. So we couldn't really see a lot of the instructing from the individual periods. Um, but I don't know if you guys have other things that really jumped out to you. Those are a couple of things that I saw that were kind of notable. Well, I'm not supposed to do this, but uh, you, you brought up a few of the things uh, that I was going to mention, special teams focus and then um, the Dan Lanning microphone deal. So I don't got much to add because you brought up two I was going to bring. Um, I just think it's from a, 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 a landing perspective I just thought it was interesting how he was literally bouncing between position group to position group. Um, it felt like under Taggart, he hung around quarterbacks predominantly, didn't really go to other position groups. Uh, with Cristobal, it felt like he was always with the offensive linemen or when Oregon would go front seven first offensive line drills. He, he would not deviate away from – the trenches and I understand like hey you're a coach you you live where you're best suited for um and that was crystal ball's strength as an offensive line coach but when you're a head coach you've got to be everywhere you've got to be able to make sure you're you're, you're you have your hands dipped into every part of the program and it just felt like it wasn't that way and so overreaction no doubt about it but just from the one practice I saw landing seemed to be everywhere um, yeah, not a whole lot just because we all saw the same thing and there's not a whole lot to see to begin with. Uh, Tosh Lupoy, big visor guy, saw that. Visors um, are back at Oregon. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I feel like he's going to become a bucket hat kind of fella yeah. coming up yeah. in, the, in the summer. So I'm excited to see that. Um, Adrian Glum, big long sleeve guy, even in the, in the hot. So that, that'll be something important to add to everybody's, you know, recruiting notebook. Um, yeah, a lot of special teams drills. Love to see that, considering how Oregon wasn't great at special teams last year. So that was cool. Um, I, I, I felt that the first couple of practices that we've been able to see have been as physical as possible without mm -hmm. actually tackling people. So yeah. that was interesting because it felt like the first few days of a spring camp for, for the old regime, for Cristobal and company, were really kind of just conditioning more than anything else, just kind of walkthroughs, simple stuff. Um, it feels like the intensity level for landing has really, I don't know, been around that 90 to 95% out of 100 so far. Um, so I'm excited to see when they actually get into pads. Um, I don't think we'll see much just based on what we've seen so far, but I, I still think it'll be really interesting to watch him work, watch him navigate the field. Um, I think... Yeah, there's not a whole lot. Uh, Wilson Love is electric, the yeah. new strength and conditioning coach. I've said that before, though. Um, that's all I got. Okay. I, 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 maybe I'm silly for bringing this up. Just two things that stood out for me. Like, I hadn't seen these people in person. Uh, Carlos Lachlan is even more muscular. Than me. Yeah, like that guy <laughs> is no yoke. 
it's kind of it's like he like I would imagine if he's carrying the football, it's really hard to take him down hypothetically. Um, and then this is a silly thing, but I made this comment to Jared as we watched them walk through. Junior Adams a little shorter than I thought. He's not not a very tall guy. Uh, I I don't know in my head I thought he was like six two six three kind of guy. Definitely sub six feet. So there's a couple of uh, physical takeaways from from the coaches on their first time walking around the campus. I guess. Same with Kenny. Kenny's yeah, Kenny's a little short too. Yeah, but a lot of normal looking people on this staff. I don't know if like <laughs> like with Cristobal's staff they were like you know. Coach Joe, like there are some big guys, and you know, Coach Moorhead was an indistinguished, like a distinguishable character. Excuse right. me. And in this staff, it's yeah, it's a bunch of football coaches. Yeah. Well, so there you go. Those are assistant coaching perspectives, including <laughs> some. You're some, all welcome. Some breakdowns on some of the players. So we could talk about one of the coaches has a big limp. We could talk about that. I mean, there's there's all sorts of goofy things we get into, but uh, we I think we'll move on to avoid making more of a fool of ourselves. All right. Um, the last one from at ZB Green One. We're talking women's basketball here a little bit before we close the show. Um, what's the most likely outcome for the women's basketball team in this tournament? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, for those listening, you probably I, I, well if you're if you're a women's basketball fan, you know. If you're not, I'll tell you. Uh, the Ducks were awarded a five seed to play their opening game on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. against number 12 Belmont. Um, kind of a tough draw because Belmont's been in the tournament six straight years, and they are also located in Tennessee. So Oregon is a five seed, and Belmont is playing, I think, like 2,300 miles closer to their home campus than Oregon. Oregon's going 24, like 2,500 miles across the country, and Belmont's like 200 miles from from where Knoxville is. So that's not ideal. Um, Oregon under Kelly Graves has been really good, by the way, in NCAA tournament settings. They've never not made the Sweet 16 under Kelly. Um, so that bodes well. I, I will note that um, Tennessee's best player, Jordan Horston, missed the last five games of the season with a fractured elbow. Um, that's not ideal. She led the team in rebounding and scoring as like a 17 and 10 player, a uh, really, really talented player. I think expected to go pro and be a top 10 draft pick as well. So um, if Horston can't play that, might, and this is of course, assuming Oregon beats Belmont, which I don't think is a guarantee um, just because Oregon is so up and down, they might have a more favorable draw in the second round against Tennessee or Tennessee might lose to Buffalo. And that might, who knows what that means? I think, it's really, really hard to predict the most likely outcome here, guys, just because nothing really has gone the way I thought it would for this team this year. Like, they've had the highs, they've had the lows. You could convince me that this team plays, you know, Louisville in Wichita and maybe competes and almost beats Louisville because Louisville's been, of the number one seeds, the least consistent. They've lost five games this year. You could also convince me that, that Belmont beats Oregon in the opening round. So... Um, I'll say most likely is they reach the second round and, and lose in, in Knoxville. Um, that's not what I would like it to be because if they go to Wichita, I think I'll be there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's it's really hard for me to sit here with a straight face and suggest they're going to make it the Sweet 16 because this team just has had very little consistency. Um, I think they have the I really think they have the capability to make it out of the opening weekend with their talent, but it's really hard to the most likely outcome is that when this is a team that's lost six of 12 down the stretch. It's just that year for just Oregon basketball in general, whether it's the women like we're talking about right now or the men that didn't make the tournament. Um, 
like you, Eric, like my first reaction was, woof, that stinks. They have to go to Knoxville all that way, and they have to play a 12-seeded team who's got history in the tournament and is just an hour and a half, two hours away from from Knoxville. You know, I would expect Belmont to bring a big crowd. Oregon's a big name, an opportunity to to get to the second round and, and to, to play another in-state school. Yeah. You know, I, the Belmont student section could – could make their way over there, but it also wouldn't surprise me if, you know, this team comes out and Tahina Pow Pow plays really good and Sobley and Prince are a good dynamic duo. And what Maddie Shears had a couple weeks to kind of rest up that ankle. And it wouldn't surprise me if they go out and they win that game by 20, you know, they're, they're capable of doing that. Um, I, I think the expectation for me is win one game. Um, get to the tournament, win a game. And if you get to uh, the second week of the tournament and you make it to the Sweet 16, I think this year is is a roaring success. Um, all the injuries that you've had, um, if you win a game and then you lose to Tennessee in the second round, I think you, you probably feel a little underwhelmed about the season. But when you factor in the injuries, you factor in um, everything that goes with, with – a regular season and it's happened, you probably after a week or so feel that, Hey, it was a good year. Um, but if you lose to Belmont in the first round, you're, you're probably going to have a, a poor taste for how the season ended. Yeah. I think anybody losing the first round would definitely leave a poor taste in their mouth. Um, unless you were, you know, like a 16 seed going against a one, uh, that's not Oregon's case. There's a 12, five matchup. These are, um, some of the favorites for people to predict mm-hmm. as upsets in terms of their bracketology and bracket predictions. Um, I don't think I would predict Oregon to lose in round one. Um, I think if, if Tennessee does win over Buffalo, that would be a very favorable draw for Oregon, like Eric mentioned earlier. Um, I can see a Sweet 16 run, but I can also see them getting knocked out in the first round. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, that's yeah. been, <clears throat> if you've listened to our podcasts about the Pac-12 tournament as well, I feel like this was the consensus among the group as well. It's like, well, they could get to the, the championship game or they could lose in the second round. Who knows? So that's kind of where I'm at with this again. Um, I, I, I do see a path to the Sweet 16 very easily. This Again, if Oregon is operating on all cylinders or firing on all cylinders, however you want to describe it, they're good enough to where they can really give Louisville a run for their money. And yeah. they could potentially win that game and get to the Elite Eight just like that. And it's, it, it could be that easy. However, it has not been that easy all season, as Matt just outlined a few moments ago. So for Oregon, I – I mean, a Sweet 16 run, I feel like, is the most um, most logical or most probable, I would say. But there's still a chance. Man. It's it's tough to just predict it and be like, yes, they are. Sweet 16, lock it in. Pick of the week. It's just not that. Yep, agreed. I'm, I'm splitting the difference between a Sweet 16 and a, a opening round loss and just saying they win a game, and that's the most likely, but I'm – hoping that I'll be booking travel to Wichita on like Monday afternoon. But I again, I have no, I have no real confidence that that takes place just because it's hard to project with this team, but Tennessee, as we said, 
pretty favorable that you could be playing a team that went two and three down at stretch without its best player. And that best player has yeah. a fractured elbow coach is sick there. By the way, Kelly Harper, their coach is saying it's, it's day to day. She says, but it's not a, it's not another question she plays, but it's also not a given either. So uh, if Horston's playing, she's probably not close to hundred percent either. So I, but if they get to 10, if they get to that game, I think that's, that's not totally out of the realm of possibility that they can pull a, a small upset there. I will also say that, kind of stinks when you're a five seed and you have to go play all the way across the country against two teams that are basically in their hometown. And that's just a mm-hmm. really tough draw. ESPN had Oregon as one of the big losers from the, from the seeding because they also noted Michelle Vopla, I will give credit to her that Oregon was probably one win away against a Utah or a Colorado or a Stanford, certainly of being on that four line. And now we're talking about them hosting and maybe Tennessee or someone else is coming out West, but them's the breaks yeah. in college women's college basketball. And it's a system that, you know, it favors you if you can be a top 16 team a lot. And it really stinks if you're maybe team 17 or 18 like Oregon was this year. We'll have more um, in-depth look at the women uh, here on a podcast later this week. We'll also discuss the men's NIT bid, um, where they go, how long they survive and that, which could be one game. Um, and then we'll also discuss some more recruiting later on this week on the podcast as well. So, um, plenty to look forward to with the Odds and Audible's podcast. Um, also, make sure to check out DuckTerritory.com for more coverage of spring football. Uh, we've got women's basketball tournament coverage. We've got the NIT coverage. We've got recruiting coverage. We've got Jared's baseball coverage. Uh, you will get a lot of stuff on DuckTerritory.com. So until the next episode of the Odds and Audible's podcast, thanks for listening. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.